Hey, can you guys do me a massive favor? Can we welcome all of our uh, crew joining us online today? All of our online campus. It's so good to have you here today. Hey, listen, um, let us know where you're joining in from. I know we got people watching all over the nation and the world, so I'd love for you, just in the chat section, let us know where you're coming from. We'd love to be able to say hi to you, and uh, we are so pumped that you're joining us online today. And to everybody in the house, one more time, can we put our hands together for our first-time guests? It's so good to have you here. Uh, we're gonna continue on uh, in our series that we've been in over the past uh, year uh, is really what it is. I've lost track of the weeks. Uh, it's been a lot of weeks. Um, we, are, we are coming down to the, the finish line. It's the final countdown. Um, we're, we're getting there and uh, I'm really excited uh, to get this thing finished and move into some new territory uh, at the beginning of the year. But uh, we're gonna get into it. Second Peter chapter one, verses 16 to 21. Can we thank our worship team today, guys? Thank you so much, absolutely stunning. Uh, before I read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to, uh, to 21, I want to give us some context and help us know where we're going today. Uh, Peter's going to shift his attention and his subject matter a little bit from the first couple verses in, in, in the first chapter of 2 Peter, and he's going to shift his attention to uh, two very specific subjects. He's going to focus our attention towards eschatology, which is the understanding of the end of days. And then he's gonna focus our attention on false teachers and prophets. I say that because it's gonna help us understand a little bit more what I'm gonna read in these next few verses. It's even more important because we have to start framing kind of our mindsets for what we're gonna be getting to into October. Uh, we're gonna be doing the last little mini-series of this series, we're calling it War Horses. And uh, we're gonna be talking about the end of days and some of the, some of the things that we learn uh, in our eschatology or the study of the uh, end times. I hate saying end times though because it makes it all sound like doom and gloom and everything like that. And I will say this, if you're like, oh great, they're gonna go weird. No, we're not. Um, uh, we're gonna actually, we're gonna find out some very beautiful stuff from scripture. I gotta tell you that my heart and, and my mind has once again been awakened to the beauty of scripture as I've just been going deep into these areas of study recently, and I gotta, I just, I gotta tell you, like, I love God's word. And as I've been reading what I'm reading and studying what I'm studying right now and just refreshing things, and once again, just coming to the pages of this book with clear eyes and an open heart, I just wanna tell you how beautiful our God is and what we learn about him in and through scripture. So Revelation's not something to be freaked out about. Um, just like, spoiler alert, we win, that's awesome. And so, um, but I, I wanna, I wanna take us on a journey that's important. So, so Peter's gonna shift attention uh, to eschatology, and it's really important that he shifts that, that attention because the false teachers and prophets that he's gonna deal with are false teachers and prophets who were, who were, for lack of better terms, they were messing up this concept of Jesus returning again. It's a fundamental concept to our core doctrine as a church, the return of King Jesus. And that's really what worship is, it's rehearsal for his return, if we believe the Bible. And so Peter is now going to spend these next few verses, well actually what he's gonna really do is spend 16 all the way through chapter two, eviscerating false prophets. He's got, like, he's got an ax to grind, he, he's frustrated because people are being led astray, their faith is being shipwrecked, he's, so he's going after it. So if you read all of chapter two, and the reason I'm telling you this is because we're not gonna spend a bunch of time in chapter two because pretty much it's just Peter like one, two, punching false prophets and teachers. 
Now, I wanna make another qualifier before I read what we're gonna read today. Um, I think we have a propensity, many of us have heard that term. How many of you have heard the term before, false teacher or false prophet, show of hands? Okay, most, most of us have to one degree or another, whether it doesn't matter your background of faith, um, a lot of us are hearing it on social media right now, and here's what I've come to discover. Uh, a lot of us have a tendency to try to point fingers at false teachers that are out there instead of pointing the finger at us, our own selves, because here's the thesis of my thought today, is that many of us, if we're not careful, we become our own false teacher. And so let's go to scripture today to see what Peter says to us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with, while we were with him on the holy mountain. So now they're giving, uh, Peter's giving us an understanding of what we see in scripture and the gospels, the Mount of Transfiguration. And we also have the prophetic words strongly confirmed. This is what I want us to hear and focus in on. And you will do well to pay attention to it as, it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so what Peter's trying to do is he's trying to say, hey, listen, none of you were on the mountain with Jesus. How many of you agree with me? That's a true fact. Show of hands, how many of us were not on the mountain with Jesus on, okay, cool, so we can all agree. Everyone's hands should go up in this moment, okay? You weren't there, we weren't there. And so what we have and what Peter's saying is that we have scripture, and at that point they had the, they had the prophecies and, and the Old Testament, we have all of that to help us understand. And for us as believers now, we have the full counsel of God's word, come on. Everything from the back to the front, we have the full counsel of it. And so that's why he says, and it's a lamp in a dark place. And as the world gets darker and as, as moments get darker and everything is in decay, can I just let you know that we have the light of the gospel for us right now. And so he says, adhere to it, stay with it, allow it to guide you. And so today, as we continue on in our series, you are here, I wanna to speak to you from this subject right here if you're taking notes today. Remember the rose bush. Remember the rose bush as we deal with the issue of biblical fidelity and the danger of us becoming our own false teachers. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and has the ability to transform us from the inside out. We honor you right now, we give you this time, speak to us now. Our ears are open and our hearts are ready to receive your word as seed of faith in our lives. I pray that it takes root and it grows. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Um, I do not like gardening. I'm just gonna put it out there. If you were like, hey, Jason, we should hang out and you know, cut some bushes together, I'd be like, nah, not gonna happen. Is there anybody in who enjoys gardening? Where are my enjoyers of gardening? All thing, okay, where are you who like, no, let's just light it all on fire. Let's, um, okay, <laughs> there's more, more of you than them. That's, that's fine. Um, but the, <laughs> the responsible adult in me um, and, and whatnot is unfortunately having to do a lot of gardening. Last summer, I got into a fight with a rose bush. And uh, I don't know if you've had this happen before, so I was mowing my lawn, 
And this rose bush had gotten out of control. I mean, it was massive. It had, it had tentacles and <laughs> these arms were growing off of it. The thorns were getting bigger. And so I was mowing my lawn and I wasn't paying attention. And that rose bush straight jumped out at me and <laughs> caught my arm and shredded it, like grabbed a hold of it. And I pulled because I didn't know what it was and just it ripped my arm. Okay, now listen, um, what happened next, I take no responsibility for. And um, I, had, I had anger rise up in me in that moment. And I was like, I'm taking care of this rose bush today. And I don't know if you've ever gotten mad at a plant before, but it doesn't go well. And so I went to my garage and I, and I grabbed a set of these guys right here. How many have seen these before? Loppers, okay? I call them shears or snippers, but the first service told me they're loppers. So I'm gonna go with that because lopping is fun. And so, so I, I, was, I was angry, I was mad, I was fuming, I was bleeding, and the, the corn, like this rose was in the corner so Erica couldn't see me. And so, um, so I walked up to that rose bush and I, I started, I just started cutting. And I just started cutting. And I'm like, you stupid rose bush. By the way, this is a fake tree, in case you were wondering. I was asked in the first service, and I just started cutting, and I'm like, you stupid tree, how dare you cut me? Do you know who I am? This is my house. <laughs> started lopping and removing stuff and taking things away from it and just kept on going. Now, there's this moment that I realized I don't know what I'm doing. And I stepped back from the bush to look at it, and I went... Oh, uh, bush is not a bush anymore. It's a stump. I was thinking about this rose bush the other day as I was getting ready for this message and I realized for many of us, this is what we do to God's word. Is that we come to it, we start lopping things off because there's things that we don't like and don't feel good bumps into us wrong. We get it on a, on a weird day and we walk over to it. Come on, somebody, am I talking to the church today? And we start lopping things off. Well, God wouldn't say that. God wouldn't say. And before we know it, God's word no longer looks the way that it's supposed to look. Am I talking to anybody in church today? And so... Today, I want us to remember the rose bush because if we're not careful, this is actually how we become our own false teacher. Right. Is that we start looking at scripture through certain lenses, which we're gonna talk about in a moment, and we start defining God's word and who God is and his nature and his character by the lenses that we go to him with. And what was happening that Peter was dealing with is that this, this is what I need us to hear and understand and how we can connect the pieces now. Peter was dealing with false teachers and people starting to become their own false teachers and this is why. They stopped believing in Jesus' return because they didn't feel like Jesus was involved with their life now. So because of an experience, all of a sudden what they started to do was allow their experience to define how they were gonna come to terms with God. Have you ever done that before? Yeah. Come on, have you ever allowed something to define how we are gonna come, how God, like God's gonna operate and he's gonna work and he's gonna be according to my terms? Right. 
And so that's what I wanna deal with today. And I wanna be your pastor because this is gonna be a very pastoral message because I hope and pray that we can be the type of church that falls in love with God's word, that allows our lives to be built on God's word, that it would be the rock on which we stand so that our lives will have a firm foundation. And so we've gotta be very, very careful. Let me, let me read you a few things that a, a few authors have, have said about this particular piece of scripture. One author put it like this. We do not know what the heretics said about other doctrines like Christology or the, the doctrine of Jesus or soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. For Peter's response centers on their eschatology, their understanding of the end, Jesus coming back. Most likely these other issues were affected as well, but the primary teaching was their denial that God intervenes in this world. And because of that denial, it, it led to a corresponding denial of Christ's second coming and final judgment. Because they didn't like what was happening now, they no longer had faith for then. So because of this, because of their experience, there was a drift that was being capitalized on false teachers of the day. And so Peter had to remind them that while experience tells us a lot, it's not the final authority. Peter would talk about his experience with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration to illustrate this, but he would come back around to say, listen, we gotta allow God's word and the prophecies about him and the truth about God to be our final authority, not our experience. And so two things were happening. They were being led astray by false teachers and then they were in danger of becoming their own false teachers. And here's what I've discovered. If we're not careful, we can become our own false teachers when we start lopping off the things that we don't like in God's word. Is anybody tracking with me right now? Okay. How does this happen? Well, we become our own false teachers when we read the Bible and work out our journey of faith by looking at them with insufficient lenses. The truth is, is that we tend to look at our journey of faith and we read the Bible with a slant, this, this lens, if you, if you will. These lenses cause us to th- see things in a way that it, they were never meant to be viewed. And because of this, we tend to do to the Bible and our faith what I did to my rose bush. So... Once again, I encourage us to remember the rose bush today. And so with the remainder of our time, I wanna wanna look at what I have come to find is the most common lenses that we tend to look at our journey of faith and biblical understanding through that cause us to drift and become our our own false teachers. And this is what's interesting is that for many of us, I see it a lot, especially on social media, it's really easy to point fingers at people we think are false teachers. Few of us ever really point them back at us. And we're usually the greatest culprits of changing God's word into something that fits our Everybody say, ouch. Everybody look forward. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? All right, need your help today. Come on, every shot number one. Here's the first thing that we have a tendency to look at God's word through and, and then appropriate our journey of faith through. It's, it's feelings. 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 This is about defining truth by the base value of my humanity. Listen to what Proverbs 28, verse 26 says. The one who trusts in himself is a fool. How many of you love the Bible today? (laughs) The one who walks in wisdom will be safe. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of our changing moods and circumstances. The ability to hold on to things when it doesn't feel right, and the circumstance isn't going the way that I want it to, to, to still hold on to the word of God. I'm gonna keep on holding on to it. No matter what is going on around me or in me or in my mind or in my heart, come on somebody, I'm gonna hold on to it. Why? Because the anchor of his word is so much stronger than the anchor of my feelings. 
Come on, how many of you agree with me feelings are fickle? They shift, they ebb and flow. They move in a matter of a moment. And feelings were never meant to be the bedrock of our lives. Now within the natural philosophical literatures, 12 fundamental emotions have been highlighted. Nine they would deem as unpleasant and three that they would deem as pleasant. Think about this. this, the list would include this according to the Baker Encyclopedia of Psychology and Counseling. Sorrow, fear, anger, jealousy, shame, disgust, pain, confusion, and emptiness. Those are the nine unpleasant feelings that guide our lives. Three positive ones which are love, joy, and awe. So at any given moment, there are nine unpleasant emotions and three unpleasant, or pleasant emotions. And I would say, statistically speaking, not the greatest at math, but my opportunity to have the nine going in my life is a whole lot greater than the three. Would you agree with me? And so this is really important because for many of us, what we do is we end up, we end up driving God's word through the lens of our feelings and emotions. Here's what I want you to hear today. Emotions are valid, but that does not make them viable. Having emotions and living out of those emotions are two very different things. Having emotions and viewing scripture through the lens of my emotions are two different things. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Today we're gonna have three services and then a team night tonight. So four services today that a lot of us are just giving out on, going, our worship team, I'm gonna preach at at all of them. And so how many of you know that Monday is gonna be interesting? Truth, I'm tired on Monday, but guess what I am on Monday morning at 7 a.m.? I'm a dad. (laughs) So I get my kids up and we get them in the car and we get their lunches made and we drive them up to their school and then I come back and I get back into the office about 8.30 a.m. on Monday morning and I go go in and I I sit with Karen, my assistant, and we look at my schedule, and then my stress is high and I'm tired and my voice is gone and my energy's low and there's all kinds of stuff happening and this is what I do after I meet with Karen. I sit at my desk and I crack open my Bible to get my quiet time. How many of you know it'd be really easy to view the Bible through my Monday? And this is how this works because many of us do this. I'm tired, I'm grumpy. Erica and I had a tiff on the way out because we are frustrated at each other, mainly because I was grumpy and I got up on the wrong side of the bed and I haven't had coffee yet and coffee's a part of the Holy Spirit. And so, <laughs> it's in the Greek, check it out. <laughs> and then this is what happens. I look through my quiet time through the lens of my Monday. And then I have a revelation about God. No, it wasn't a revelation, it was Monday. And then here's what's really dangerous, is I take this revelation that I had through, um, through my Monday, and I go tell it to Devon. And I help Devon see God in a way that's incongruent with who he actually is, because I decided to read things through my Monday, yeah, and not through coming to the word of God, saying, God, right now I just empty myself, will you speak to me and do your work in me? Yeah, my feelings, or I'm anger, or I'm frustrated, or I'm, I'm everything on the inside out movie. <laughs> Am I, am I talking to anybody today? I'm gonna teach a little bit more today because I need us to grab a hold of this stuff because this is really important because this is how many of us are, are, are drifting and shipwrecking our faith is because we're trying to interpret God's word through our feelings. I don't like how that feels. Well, God didn't ask you how you felt about it. Come <laughs> on. There's not, not one, go look it up. Like I've, I've studied the Bible for a long time. You will never find a moment where like, hey, Jesus is like, hey, I wanna tell you something. 
You grab a hold of it, it feels good. Like I'm, we're, yeah. never. I'm gonna be really emphatic <laughs> this morning because I, I wanna grab this for us. Number two, every shot, number two. Here's the second lens that we look through, pop culture. Uh-oh. Pop culture, this is assimilating truth through what culture is telling or selling us. Now, let's read something from the Bible. First John chapter two, verses 15 to 18, it says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, it's not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. See, one of the greatest reasons that we end up looking at the Bible through the lens of culture is because we fear man. Ooh, everybody got quiet on that one. This is what the writer of Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 tells us. The fear of mankind is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Here's what I want to say. Just because it's popular does not mean it's right. Just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's right. We're working through this with my 12-year-old son right now. Just because everyone else is doing it, come on parents, doesn't mean that you do it. Just because popular culture is doing it or saying it or spraying it or whatever they're doing with it doesn't mean that it's affirmed in scripture. And this is a hard one we, we, ah, because we see all these things out here and fail to realize that the Bible is actually very clear on a lot of things. But for so many of us, we've allowed popularity to be the arbiter of what is right and wrong, healthy and unhealthy, true or false. And so we can't look at the Bible through pop culture. We have to view the Bible as God's authoritative word. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Okay. I know for some of us, this is, I'm, a rub, I'm rubbing some of us the wrong way right now. Like there's gonna be some challenge, like sparks flying. It's good. That's what hopefully you came here for. And so number three, everybody shout number three. three. Here's the third thing that we do. As we look at the Bible, we do our journey of faith through our wounds. This is about viewing all of truth through my hurt. I wanna take you to 2 Kings chapter five, verses eight through to 15, it says this. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, now he had torn his clothes because of a man that he was close with by the name of Naaman, we're gonna be introduced to him in just a second, because of a skin disease that Naaman had. He sent a message to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me and he will know there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha, so let's pause there. Naaman's coming to Elisha because he's been told that this prophet heals people. Now, Naaman has an expectation that's been created because of his wound. Y'all tracking with me? His wound was a skin disease that was incurable. It was a wound that he'd carried for his entire life and that he wanted gone. And there was social ramifications and personal ramifications. He probably had more wounds than just the skin disease. But in this moment, he was strolling up to Elisha because he wanted to be healed of one thing and one thing alone, his skin disease. So Elisha sent a messenger who said, go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. What? Now, how many of you know, and we're gonna find out in just a second, that that's gonna be a frustrating reality when you go to talk to the prophet and the prophet doesn't even come out to you. He sends his servant. He says, no, you you go tell him, and, and then tell him to go wash in the river. Now, if I'm Naaman, I'm pretty angry, which he is. Verse 11, but Naaman got angry and left. 
Now, I want you to hear this and listen to these words because this is where it's, it's really important for us to grab a hold of. I was telling myself. You ever been there before? Your frustration, the expectation you had because of the wound that you'd received. I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call in the name of the Lord as God. Notice how he's got this big picture that's been developed of what's gonna happen. And he's gonna wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't have I just washed in them and been clean? This is what he's saying. Why did I come all of this way to be told by a servant to go wash in the river? Why did I make the journey to come all of this way to the prophet when all you're going to do is send a servant out to me? I want the prophet. You ever had an expectation that's been formed by a wound? You ever stepped into service before and you want God to just move everybody else aside and just speak to you? Come on. You ever been in that moment where somebody didn't see you when you were walking out of the lobby or that friend didn't call you on the day of the anniversary of the death? Don't they see me? Come on, how many of you agree with me? I have a tendency to look especially at God through the wounds that we are carrying in our life. And then we build expectations on it. So this is what happened. Aren't these, aren't these waters better than anything in Israel? Couldn't I wash them and be cleaned? So he returned and he left in a rage. This is what I love what happens next. But his servants approached and said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy and he was clean. Here's what I want us to see. Naaman potentially missed his miracle because he left in a rage. Because his expectations of God were created through the wounds that he was carrying. Many of us fail to see what God is saying to us because we're trying to hear him through our wounds. things that we're carrying. Now, listen, I'm not trying to minimize pain. I'm not trying to minimize the things that are, that are going on in our life. But here's the problem is that many of us are trying and we're becoming our own false teachers because we're trying to fit God into the box of our wounds. These are my wounds, God, and I need you to operate this way. This is the way that I want it to go. This is what I want it to look like. This is how I need it to be. But here's what I need us to hear today is that when we reject the word of God through our wounds, we're rejecting the very thing that's going to heal us. See, for many of us, we are allowing our wounds to lead us rather than his wounds to heal us. First Peter chapter two, verses 21 through to 25, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And many of us are rejecting the very one who can heal our wounds because we've been wounded. 
We carry that abuse. We carry that thing that was said to us. We carry that church hurt. We carry that divorce. We carry all of these wounds and, and the shame and the guilt and all the things that are attached to them. And I just need us to know today that when we come to Scripture and we look at it all through our wounds, when we look at God through our wounds, we're going to miss the one who was wounded so we could be healed. And so is it possible that his wounds heal and my wounds lead me astray? Number four, everybody shout number four. Okay, I'm gonna just meddle a little bit more today. Here's the fourth, fourth one, personal preference. <laughs> this is assessing the truth through my personal likes and dislikes. Philippians chapter two, verses one to four says this. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by, by thinking the same way having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now watch this. In order to make that happen, there's gotta be an actionable item that takes place. This is what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider your others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. See, what many of us have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to look at the word of God, our journey of faith, and the things that are included in that, through the lens of my personal preference. And then we make it right or wrong, don't we? We make it right or wrong. How many of you guys have heard that lately? Everything's gotten a whole lot more black and white on things, right and wrong. Tell me this, tell me that. We all freak out when there's any type of gray area, okay? So I'm gonna, if you would allow me the ability just to like, as a precursor, I'm not speaking out of frustration when I say these next things, they're just great ways to bring the illustration. Here's one we've heard before. Big church is bad, small church is right. How many of you have heard that before? Big church, it's, 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 it's bad, it's the devil. Small church is right. Can I just tell you that small church is right? Big church is right. But small church can also be wrong and big church can be wrong. Let's put it this way. Both can be unhealthy and both can be healthy. They just have to work at different things in order to find that health. I've been in gigantic churches Massive ones are the healthiest place I've ever been. People are being discipled, getting closer to Jesus, building relationships, but the, the work that goes into making that thing happen. But ha guess what? How many times do we view something through my personal preference? Yeah. Because somebody didn't say hi to me in the big church. <laughs> Some of you are squirming right now, so. And that's my staff. Um, <laughs> so now big church is bad. Here at the well, we like rambunctious worship. Come on, somebody. All right? It's loud. Vaughn's dancing. Everything's, the team's gone, and Charlie's going in deep, and Seth is just banging on things called drums. It's loud, and people are clapping and shouting and praising and all these different things, and because it's not a personal preference of ours, we walk away and we say, because I don't like it, we go, that's wrong. No, it's not. It's just not your preference. And then here's what happens, is because we view everything through our personal preferences, we end up becoming hyper-religious and dogmatic with our edicts about what is and what is not. Y'all with me? And so this is very dangerous. We become our own false prophets because then we are, and teachers is because we start forming truths out of things that aren't there. 
Listen, I believe in heaven, we're gonna hear all genres of music, except country, but all genres of, of music. All, all genres of music. And, and Les Stapleton's leading that day, and then it's okay, okay? Then it's, but that's the thing, and that's why Paul's saying, he's like, listen, stop coming to the table with all of our personal preferences. If it's not your personal preference, then let's go. That's just not how, like, that's not me. I need to find a place that's great for me. But let's not judge it. I've got great friends that do, every, that do church completely different. We're not talking about doctrinal things here. So if, if you were like, yep, Jesus didn't raise out of the grave, we're gonna have words. That's a doctrinal thing. But if you're like, church shouldn't be doing drums, eh. Y'all see what I'm talking about? So this, this is a big issue, and this is what's dividing the body of Christ. I've seen more division over preference than I have over doctrinal things. Is the church with me today? Number five, everybody shout number five. There's the fifth one. Personal experience. This is building truth out of various experiences. Listen to what Jesus says on this matter. This is fascinating. John chapter six, 22 through 27. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, Jesus takes it to another level, and this is absolutely savage. Listen to what he says. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So this is, let's, let's do the Jason version on this one. He says, you're only looking for me, not because you want me to move in your life, but because you want to be fed. You're looking for bread, but you're, looking, you're missing a whole other part of me. That's what Jesus is saying to them. You're only chasing after me, not because you want, not because you want the miracle working Jesus, you want the bread giving Jesus. You're chasing after me, not because you want the holiness Jesus, you want the justice Jesus. You're chasing after me because you want the Jesus you feel during worship, not the Jesus you bump into in God's word. And so what happens is we end up becoming our own false teacher because we chase a portion of him, not the whole of him. Well, I like this, this portion of Jesus, and this portion I don't like, and this portion I don't like, and this portion I don't like in God's way, and this one right here, and this, and all of a sudden we have this stump of a thing that resembles nothing to the God of scripture. And here's the problem, is that we then try to take refuge. <laughs> under something that's not there. Try to take, we're like how, how. Come on. 
Rains came, winds blew, my stump was built on you. We can't take refuge when we've chopped away the shade. And that's my concern for the moment we're living in right now. Eric and I went on an epic honeymoon when we first got married. We've been married almost 18 years now. We went to Whistler. We skied and we ate and hung out. It was an amazing honeymoon. We toured British Columbia and did a lot of fun things. It was absolutely amazing. Subsequently, we've been on other vacations and other moments that have been absolutely amazing. And they've, they've been a part of our marriage. But how many of you know that if Eric and I just chased honeymoon moments, we would never have the marriage that we have now? And that's what many of us do with our relationship with God, is that we chase the honeymoon moments with Jesus, and we avoid the character-building moments with Jesus. So we've got to be careful that we don't become our own false teacher. I want to read one more scripture that stuck out to me underneath the guides of this, this truth right here. It's in Luke 23, 6 through 13. God really challenged my heart on this issue. And here's, here's what it looks like. Here's the question I want to ask after I read the, the piece of scripture. Luke 23, 6 through 13. It says this, when Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean Finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. This is talking about Jesus, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. Now, listen, listen to the language here. Listen to how the Gospels present this to us. Herod was really glad to see Jesus. For a long time, he had wanted to see him because he'd heard about him and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions. But Jesus did not answer him. I can picture this moment. Herod's asking him questions and Herod's poking at him like he's a, like he's a circus animal. Just do a miracle, do a miracle, do a miracle. And he's asking him questions and poking at him. Jesus says nothing. Jesus says nothing at all. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Then Herod with his soldiers treated him after not getting what they wanted from him, treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing and sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Herod and Pilate became friends previously. They had been enemies. It's very interesting how we will quickly make friends with someone who is an enemy when Jesus becomes the collective enemy of us both. You didn't get something from Jesus. We never really talked. I didn't get something from Jesus. But now we're both gonna talk. Because our collective enemy is the one we didn't get something from. Misery loves company. It's getting quiet in church today. So personal experience can go both ways. We can chase after all the feelings of things that feel good all the time and miss the character building things. Or we can be frustrated because our experience is I didn't get what I wanted from him. And so he becomes my enemy and I become my own. False teacher. Number three, or number six. I don't know what point it is. It's a point. 
<laughs> number six. Are we shot number six? six? All right, sixth one is this, convenience. <laughs> Formulating truth by that which is just easier to believe. Mark 10, 17 through to 25 says this, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus, the sweet, loving Jesus that we all like says this, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one's good except for God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Notice he's, he's assessing that he can behave. How many times have we done that before? Like, I'm good with these. I'm, probably, I'm gonna bat a thousand on that whole do not murder thing. <laughs> Unless the traffic gets worse here in Salt Lake and then, eh. Most of us are gonna be doing well with these things and we can say, oh, I'm behaving. I'm, I'm a good Christian. And looking at him, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. This is what I want us to hear today. A lot of people focus on this scripture and they try to make it about stuff and things, money, wealth, and Jesus talks about that for sure. But there's another underlying issue here. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't convenient for this man to give up all of his stuff. Jesus assessed these things and the man says, yeah, I do those things, I'm great. But he had another heart issue and that was a convenience issue. Now Jesus is gonna touch on saying how difficult it is, especially when it comes to material items, for us to give them up in the name of. For sure that's a part of it, but how many of you agree with me? What's even more frustrating sometimes is that this life of faith is not convenient. I'm gonna make a very absolute statement this morning for the sake of the argument, I'm gonna say this. Nothing in the kingdom of God is convenient. It's not. But this is the great issue we're facing in our modern world as things have become more convenient. Hot pockets and minute rice. We're conditioned for convenience. We begin then to reject anything and everything that pushes against it. Listen, can I just say this to us today? It is not convenient to forgive. It's not convenient to worship. It's not convenient to love. It's not convenient to serve. It's not convenient to give. It's not convenient to be humble. It's not convenient to sacrifice. Faith is not convenient. There's nothing convenient about it at all. None of us woke up today and were like, man, I really hope Jesus asked me to sacrifice something. <laughs> right? None of us got up today and were like, man, I really, have, I, I, I really hope today affords me the ability to have to forgive somebody. <laughs> no one said that today. You're like, I hope it's a good day free of all of its trouble. Yeah. Right? None of us are like, I really hope me and my spouse get into a really bad argument so like seven minutes later I can exercise that thing called forgiveness. <laughs> We didn't do that, why? Because, well, we try to avoid things that are not convenient. See, if convenience is the prerequisite for allegiance to the kingdom, we will never seek first the kingdom. Number seven, last one. Everybody shout number seven. Did you get something out of this so far? Is this helping anybody today? All right, so here's the seventh one, and this is a challenge for some of us, is that the last lens that we have a tendency to look at scripture in our, in our journey of faith through is 
what I call in a vacuum. And this is about developing truth independent of the whole story. Developing truth independent of the whole story. In other words, some of us are in a dangerous place right now because we ignore the whole counsel of scripture and favor Jesus's words. Bible fidelity is about taking the whole counsel of God's word, not just Jesus's. I'm gonna be your pastor today and correct something that I noticed last week in service. And it's not a big deal, but I heard overtones of it and I wanted to, that's why I put this in here today. Last weekend in the message that I was speaking, we went through a course of scripture from kind of Old Testament to, to New Testament. And then I said in one of the things, I said, okay, now let's go, let's see what Jesus says on the matter. And then there was a, there was a clap, which all, the, all of a sudden I grabbed a hold of it because what we were doing is we were automatically taking Jesus' words and asserting it above the truth of the whole word. As if somehow his words negate his word. And I just want us to know today that Jesus' words stand in this word. He is the fulfillment of this word, but his word is the Old Testament and it's the New Testament. It's the things that are tricky and the things that don't make sense. It's the things that we love and the things that we don't love. It's the things that feel good and it's the things that don't feel. It's all of this. I want, I want all of this. If I can, ha I, want, I want, and I don't understand all of it at times. And there's weird beasts in the backside and, and weird prophets on the front side and, and things that don't make sense at the end of the day. And I'm like, but it's a whale. Is it possible for him to be in the belly? And it's a river. Is it possible to turn to blood? And there's this and there's that. I know it's crazy, but it's the full counsel of God's word. So A.W. Tozer said it like this, the word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual freedom. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. And then he says this pointed truth, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. And so we can't come to God's word and start lopping it off. And then all of a sudden, here's, I want you to see the picture now. For some of us, we are now in this process of <laughs> picking this up and trying to fumble through that. And my, my kid just passed away unexpectedly. What? Where's, where's that? How do I deal with that? Where, where's, where, where's that at? The world seems like it's getting darker and darker. Where's, where's that at? It was all there. We just spent the better part of our years cutting it down. Now here's the great thing. As much as you lop off, you never destroy its truth. Right. <laughs> and here's the, because you're not that powerful. <laughs> but man, it makes it very complicated to wander the hallways of life. We've cut out the very thing that gives us shape. The very thing that is a light unto our path. 
gospel, the good news, his word in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand. I wanna invite everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment as we get ready to close the service today. For some of us, there's um, kind of an internal battle going on right now. It's great. It's a place that I hope we can get to every single Sunday around here. It's why we do things the way that we do around here. Some of you, you're coming to the place right now where you're actually seeing the goodness of who God is right now in this moment. And as we assess his word and we assess his truth, it causes us to come to this place where you say, man, Jesus, I wanna accept you. I wanna follow you. I wanna give you my life. And that's the invitation that is being made to some of us in this room today. So every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around in this moment. We're gonna pray a prayer all together. I won't leave anybody out. But if you'd say today, man, Jason, I wanna come to Jesus. I wanna give him my life. I wanna follow him. Make this your prayer today. We're gonna do it out loud all together so we don't leave anybody out. But come on, would you all repeat this after me today as loud as you can? Everybody say, Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Today, I am giving you me, every part of me, all my flaws, all my failures, and all my hangups. And I'm turning from my ways to follow your ways. Thank you for salvation through your grace. In Jesus' name.